You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, happy Christmas. I know technically it's tomorrow. We're one sleep to go. Those who've been counting down, this is it. We are on the final stretch now. One thing I want to know is what, why is it that Mark can wear reindeer antlers, lead worship and nobody bats an eye? If I put them on, phones would come out and I'd be on Facebook before I could take them off. Because I've seen, I don't know how that works, but uh, maybe it's a special grace you have, Mark, for fancy dress. We, we look forward to whatever 2018 may hold. Wonderful. Well, if you're able to join us tomorrow, as uh, Jonathan has said, we'll meet here 10.30, Christmas Day. Uh, we'd love to see you if you're able to make worship part of your celebration tomorrow. Uh, if you can't be among us, if you're traveling or got family commitments or what, for whatever reason, then uh, may uh, Esther myself wish you a very happy Christmas. And uh, we pray you might know the presence, the joy, and the peace of the Savior who came for you in your heart this Christmas time. And uh, we also uh, hope you're able to get some rest over the period. We know many of you will be working and have different commitments, uh, but we hope you're able to get some rest over this time. And for those that are able to enjoy family and friends, may you have a blessed time. And uh, we also understand we have some in our midst who've uh, recently lost loved ones and, and those unable to be with family at this time. And, and so we pray for you that you would know the closeness of Jesus and know in a special way his gift of his life for you this Christmas and to know that you are loved beyond all measure by him. Well, it's a joy and it's great to be here at Christmas. As, as Jonathan said, uh, thank you for, for a, a gift that was given. I would say unexpectedly, we thought we'd got away with it this year. It has become someone of a, an annual tradition and we, we say thank you. We don't take anything for granted here. It's our great honor to serve by leading in this great church. And we thank also the hundreds of people who make CLM what it is and what it is becoming. And all of you who serve on our Sunday teams, who serve in, in life groups through the week and ministries that meet week in, week out. Uh, those uh, that serve in our missions, projects in the city. Thank you. It, it takes all of us. And we are the church. We don't believe that this gathering here for a couple of hours on a Sunday is the church. We are the church. Why, why, don't, why don't you say, I am the church? Am the church. You are the church. This is it. And we actually believe that if we're going to bring the kingdom of God into every life and sphere of society, it's in the 166 hours in the week where we're not met here on a Sunday morning, but we're out in the world in our places of work and study and community, bringing Jesus to a broken world. I'm absolutely delighted to spot Ezra Boyle, who has brought his, uh, his parents, uh, Dave and Lisa, to church this morning, hiding on the back row, but welcome. We're absolutely delighted to see you. Why don't we welcome little Ezra? I think, I think first time in, in church, so great. Wonderful. Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you take it out? And uh, we are going to turn in just a moment to Luke chapter 2. And I want to speak today on the two sides of Christmas. The two sides of Christmas, this is my message, and uh, we're going to look at, in some ways, how we see some extremes holding together. Just before we do that, I thought I'd share you my favorite Christmas cracker jokes 
this year. Uh, how do we know that Mary and Joseph knew Jesus was seven pounds, six ounces when he was born? Because there was a way in a manger. Yeah, I know. It's good, isn't it? And um, uh, who hides in a kitchen cupboard at Christmas? No, not that. Um, a mince spy. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Um, how many letters in a Christmas alphabet? Just 25, because there's no L. And this is the last one you'll be glad to know. What do you call a group of chess players bragging in a hotel lobby? Chestnuts boasting in an open foyer. There you go. Well, you absolutely hated that, didn't you? So uh, it's all right. We'll move on. It will get better from here. I uh, trust and pray. Well, two sides of Christmas. Most things that have one side actually have two sides. If you look at your hand, uh, you'll find that you've got a palm, but you've also got the back of your hand. Two sides. There's two sides of a coin. I grew up in an era where if you wanted to listen to music, you bought what was called a record. Many young people have never heard of a record, yeah, but a record was made of plastic or vinyl, and it was played by a needle. Just give me a wave if you remember vinyl. And uh, you, you typically had an A side, and you also had a... B-side, you see, yeah, we are of a generation, so we're a multi-generational church, and there are some young people who have no idea what I've just said, and um, including my own kids, but there we go. Two sides. Recently, we had to replace some fencing at our, our home because it had fallen down, and we shared the cost with our neighbors because although we only needed one fence panel between us, we both had a side, we had our side, and we had their side, and so we shared we shared the cost of the fencing. I, I want to share today some thoughts around the two sides of Christmas. I was going to call this the tension of Christmas, but I thought that might sound a bit, a bit challenging, that maybe there's too much tension already. I've had somebody, even today, who said, why do we do this to ourselves every year? You know, the pressure. Oh, my goodness. You know, see, yesterday, people finishing their shopping, maybe some even planning to go after church today, you know, kind of checking on your phone, what time does it shut? And uh, yeah, there we go. Some of us leave things till the last minute. I understand that. The pressure, the tension of Christmas. Maybe you're experiencing the tension of Christmas, trying not to offend or be offended in the scheduling of who to see when over the Christmas period, getting the details right. Um, of course, I wouldn't be speaking about the emotional stress of Christmas. I'd be talking about the tension when we hold together two truths, two things that can seem uh, opposite, can seem polarized, and yet coexist. The Christian life is full of tensions, things that we need to hold together. In fact, I think in many places in theology, if we can understand that there is room for mystery, things that we can't get our logic around, but there are truths that coexist, like the, the sovereignty of God, that God is God, that He is over all things, that He knows all things, that He is in control of all things, and yet also He gives us free will and free choice. How do those things coexist together? And yet they do. These are the truths of the Bible. And I think if we can hold those truths in extreme. We really believe this, and we also really believe this. We're, we're more like a, a tightrope walker with a long pole. The longer the pole, the more balanced they are, rather than we veer towards one extreme or veer towards another. These can be the tensions 
of the Christian life. And as we look into this Christmas story, one of the most well-known of scriptures in Luke chapter 2, we find two sides. We find, we find extremes coexisting right there together. But what we also find is this is a reflection of the Christian life. That these mysteries that coexist, they exist in our world if we come to embrace them. So Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 through to 14, this is what the Bible says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor over Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign To you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks to God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for this incredible story. May its familiarity not cause us to lose sight of its wonder. In your precious name, amen. Some thoughts for us today, a simple meditation, if you like, around the Christmas story. In the Christmas story, firstly, we see the prophetic and the circumstantial. We see the prophetic, but we also see the circumstantial. If, if you're new to church, prophecy is... The predicting of a future event or a happening. And God, throughout his words, spoke through his prophets. He declared what was to come. He would gather a man or a woman and he would inspire them and speak through them and proclaim what was yet to unfold. And this happened pointing towards this birth in Bethlehem. Micah, 700 years earlier, a prophet of God had said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out from you will come one whose days are from eternity. He will be great over the earth and he will be your peace. Speaking of the Messiah to come, there was an understanding that God himself would come into the world and he would be born in Bethlehem. You, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though you're a tiny place out from you. That's why when the Magi were lost and they went to Herod and they they said, where is the baby to be born? They consulted with the theologians and they said, Bethlehem, Bethlehem's the place. Because they knew it. But if you understand what had happened, that the Bethlehem was actually, uh, had a population, it is believed, of about 1,500 people at that time. It was tiny. 1,500 people, it's, it, it's nothing. It's a village. 
It's a little village. It's about 350,000 people in Coventry, about 49,000 people in Leamington Spa. There's, there's about 22,000 in Kenilworth. 1,500 people in Bethlehem. And yet, it was prophesied that he would come out of Bethlehem. It was prophesied that the virgin would be with child. This is what the prophet Isaiah also, about the same time period, 700 years before, said the virgin will be with child. And she will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, God was going to come into the world through a virgin. It's prophesied. It's, it's understood that it would come to pass. Two chapters later, we, we get in Isaiah 9, but you, Galilee of the Gentiles, you will be honored that somehow that Galilee was, was going to be used in the coming of the one. And it goes on to say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace. Do you ever think about that? The increase of his rule, the increase of his peace, there'll be no end. And he will reign on David's throne. That is prophesied 700 years, the prophetic. More prophecies come, but then for 400 years from Malachi until Matthew, there is silence. Nothing is spoken. There's, there's no word from God. How many generations passes, but God is watching over his word. But then it doesn't say, but then God spoke again. It, it actually says Caesar Augustus issued a decree. The ruler decided to take a, a census of the entire Roman world. Somebody in Rome, somebody in another place decided over the... But it just so happened that the Roman Empire encompassed Israel at that time. And it just so happened that the virgin that was chosen was called Mary and she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And it just so happened that Joseph's town was Bethlehem. And it just so happened that they had to go at the very time... And it just so happened that while they were there, while they were there, verse 6, they, they only went to register. They just went to the polling station. They, they, just, they just had to make a journey to the booth. And it just so happened that the God child was born as God watched over his world, but, word, but it seemed fulfilled just by circumstance. Do you find it incredible? I find it incredible that Jesus would conduct his ministry in Galilee, and Galilee among the Gentiles would be honored in the way that was prophesied, and yet Joseph's real hometown was Nazareth, but it was said that the Messiah would be a Nazarene, and yet they had to flee into exile into Egypt, and yet the prophets also said, out of, Israel, out of Egypt I will call my son. Well, which is it? Bethlehem, Nazareth, Galilee, or Egypt? Oh, it's all of them, because God is watching over his word. But it just so happened that way. It just happened that God would work in that way. Why, why would I make that point to us today? Because I believe it's true for us. That God is watching over his word in your life. God has purpose and plans for you. That God might, there might be some things in your heart that were spoken over you years ago and haven't come to pass. Let me tell you, God is watching over his word. Amen. Isaiah 55 said that, says that the word that comes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God sends out a word, but it does not come back to him void, but fulfilled. And God is watching over his word over your life. Maybe he's spoken some things out over your life. But although that 
may be true, and although God may bring that to pass, don't expect it to happen with a, with a fanfare. Expect it to happen through the circumstance of life, because these are the two sides of the Christmas message that come to play in our lives. For Esther and myself, there were a, a gathering number of prophetic words about how God might use us that, that are coming to pass here in Coventry. But about six years ago, we were serving in another place, in another church, not looking to go anywhere or do anything other than be faithful in that place. But literally six years ago, just before Christmas, we were invited to come to this church for a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee that changed our lives. And over a cup of coffee, we were invited to come and pastor this church. Just circumstance. I got in a normal car, I drove down the M69, I, I drank normal coffee. It wasn't spiritual coffee. It, it wasn't holy water. It was normal drink. And yet, in the circumstance, prophecy starts to come to pass. We didn't tell anybody over the Christmas period. And when I went back to work on the start of January, uh, one of the members of the ministry team in the church where I was serving saw me in the corridor and said, Martin, Martin, and literally physically got hold of my arm and pulled me into his office, shut the door and sat me down. I said, what's the matter? What's happened? He said, do you know about the church in Coventry? I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, they've just built a new building. I said, oh, have they? Pleaded ignorance. Because we hadn't told anyone. We'd, we said we wouldn't tell anyone. He said, well, I went there just before Christmas to meet a friend. And, and when I walked over the threshold, I sensed you and Esther in my spirit. He got halfway up the stairs where you'd go to Little Treasures and he turned to his wife, Yvonne, said, Yvonne, what are you thinking? And she said, Martin and Esther's story. I can sense they've got destiny and purpose with this church. And then he started to weep and said, it would, it would break my heart if you left, but I need to confess, we've been praying every day that God would open a door for you to go and lead that church as a couple. And I said, well, it would be stupid at this point not to admit to you we've already been invited. Prophetic. The prophetic involved. And so it went on on our journey. And yet when it came for us to move, we packed up our own boxes. No angels came to help us. We had to move our own stuff. We had to, to get in a vehicle. We had to drive with normal fuel in our tank and come and make the journey to be here. The circumstance meets the prophetic. But I want to say to you today, God is watching over his word in your life. Maybe you say, I don't have a prophetic word for my life. May I encourage you over this period to seek God. You may rather come and have a man of God or a woman of God come and speak over you. But you know, you can sit down and you can read the word and you can say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And God can speak a word right into your life. And actually in maturity, that's what we should be seeking after. That God would speak to us, but he'll watch over his word. But he most likely will bring it to pass through the circumstance of life. Caesar Augustus issued a decree of the entire Roman world. It just so happened, but God is watching over his word. And so it is with you. In the Christmas story, secondly, we see the natural and we see the supernatural. You see, if the circumstantial met the prophetic in the location of Bethlehem, the natural meets the supernatural in the birth of Christ. In Luke 2, 6-7, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. The natural process of life. The baby didn't just come out. The baby didn't just appear. She gave birth, the Bible says. She gave birth. The natural process. It didn't say the, the God child just appeared on the outside of Mary. 
And an angel came and cut the umbilical cord. It says she gave birth. The natural. But in the previous chapter, in chapter 1, she's told by an angel that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, the one that will be called God the Son. And she says, but I'm a virgin. How will this be? And the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, is the words of chapter 1. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the angel goes on to say, for nothing is impossible with God. The incarnation, the planting of the seed, something comes within Mary, supernaturally. It's a supernatural, immaculate conception, something from another place. And yet, the supernatural and the natural exist together. This is the two sides of Christmas, the tension of Christmas. And what's the relevance of that for our lives? Well, God can plant seeds and dreams in our heart. He can plant vision in our heart. He can sow a, a, a dream for you to do something. You can receive a burden from God. A supernatural deposit, something that's from another place. A dream or an aspiration. You must have no idea how it can come about. Let me tell you how it will come about. By God watching over his word, but through the natural process of hard work, of application, of doing what we need to do. Somehow these things go hand in hand. In the new year, we'll be starting up a, a men's football training with a view to launching a CLM team into the, the church league from the next season. I'm very excited about this. But somebody had carried this in their heart for several months. And you might think, well, it's only football, but I also know through this there can be a great expression of community. Some people may be on the fringe of church brought in. Maybe people who don't know God brought in, as well as fellowship among guys. And I, I believe it was a God idea. This guy tried to shake it off, couldn't shake it off. For about 18 months, he carried this thing and came and talked to me. He said, I need to do this. I said, great, want to make it happen. We know right now, they're buying bibs and cones and booking places to, to practice and, and play and train. Why? Because the supernatural and the natural somehow go hand in hand. There's an anointing can come on the worship team, release praise in this place. But who knows, on Wednesday they gathered and they went through the chords and they went through the notes, the, the natural and the supernatural. This is how the kingdom comes. This is how life works. I was reminded this year of the importance of the supernatural, the spiritual. My friends, we are in a spiritual battle. In fact, as Mark often says, we're not human beings uh, having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings trying to master the human experience. And in the summer, I traveled to Singapore and was invited to preach at Trinity Christian Center. Many of you know that I went there. What I didn't tell you was that I had a massive battle while I was out there. A, a fierce battle came upon me. I mean, I, I went out. I knew it was going to be a step up for me to go and speak in that arena. It's a, a church of about 10,000 people. But I also know that I'm the Lord's servant. I also know that I'm a, a child of God. I seek to not walk in intimidation and, and to, to walk free and just allow the Lord to, to speak through me and minister through me. And yet something happened when I was over there about 24 hours after landing. I think what happened is I went on their website, if I'm being totally honest with you, and I looked at their guest speakers for the year. And you always said it, it said, Pastor George Wood, global overseer of assemblies of God worldwide. It said, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, Times Magazine's top 100 most influential Americans. Prayer at President Trump's inauguration. 
And it said, Pastor Martin's story. <laughs> he leads a tiny church in Coventry. <laughs> I'd seen the auditorium before. There's a picture of it here. And I, and I, I think we can put it up on the screen there. And I, yeah, exactly. And do you know what happened? I went, oh my gosh. I went to bed that night and my heart was thumping in my chest. I'm serious. This is not what I believe. This is, this is not who I am. But I, I had opened the door to a spirit of fear. I didn't realize at the time that I'd done that. I thought I was just a bit anxious. But the next day, I was supposed to go out with some pastors and I, and I said, no, I just want to spend some time in my hotel room. And I went back and I prayed and I, I did everything I know how to do. I spoke in tongues forcibly. I paced up and down. They'd given me this enormous room. It was like about the size of this room. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it was ridiculous for one person. And I was there and I was like, I was pacing up and down. Oh, I was, I was confessing the promises of God over my life. I had the Bible open. I was praising God. I thought we'd get a breakthrough in praise. I, I started, I made myself dance before the Lord. I thought, you know, anything. Well, we'll have a breakthrough. I, listen, I, I tell you, I do anything I knew how to do, and I, like, I was, I had an awesome time with God. I met God in that place. Tears were rolling down my cheeks. I encountered the presence of the living God. But I went to bed that night, and my heart was thumping in my chest. I'm serious. I couldn't sleep. This went on for, for two or three nights, and then I traveled back from where we were in Malaysia to Singapore, and I traveled back with an apostle called Apostle Kassaro from Swaziland, who happens to be married to the king's sister. So I, I traveled with royalty, and we got special treatment. And then I went to this beautiful hotel, but I, I tried to lay down on my bed. I couldn't sleep. I got up in the morning, and I text, which I should have done earlier, but one wises up in these experiences. I text three intercessors, two of whom are, are in this church today, and one of whom's from a, another church. And I said, I'm battling a spirit of fear. I need you to stand with me. It was two in the morning back in the UK. One of them came back to me straight away, said, I've seen you in a vision, and I'm up praying for you right now before your text came through. Let's speak. And we spoke. The, the other lady from another church, she's 75 now, but she's an intercessor, and she prays for, for me and Esther. She prays for CLM. She'd got home from a holiday at one o'clock in the morning and hadn't yet gone to bed, and it was two in the morning, and she felt the Holy Spirit say, check your phone. She's 75. She's got a Nokia brick. She gets one text a week. You know, so I listen. So she goes to her handbag. She pulls out her phone and my text comes through. So she goes to war. Through that day, I went down for breakfast. I met Apostle Casaro. He said, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm okay. He said, did you sleep well? I said, oh, not so much. He said, is it jet lag? I said, no, let me be honest with you. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a battle at the moment. He said, oh, what's happening? So I told him, he's very gracious, he said to me, he said, I know exactly what you're talking about. He said, a few years ago, I was invited to speak at Yonggi Cho's church in Seoul, Korea, which at the time was the biggest church in the world, by the way, nearly a million congregants. The auditorium was for 25,000 people. He said, one week before I was due to preach, a spirit of fear came and attacked me. He said, I didn't sleep for a whole week. He said, I was ushered into the auditorium by the elders of the church, and my notes made no sense to me. It's very reassuring words at this particular junction in time. But he said, by the grace of God, I stood up, I preached. He said, my ministry's never been the same again. Wow. And he said, we've got some intercessors back in Swaz Swaziland. We'll get them on it. 
I had some meetings that day. About five o'clock, I was back in my hotel room, and I, I, I lay down on my bed to try and get some rest. And at half past five, I remember it very distinctly, the spirit of fear left me. I, I was entirely at peace. Just something, supernatural change. It was as if something had been coming against me, coming against me, and it just left. And I was completely at peace. I stood up off my bed, and my 75-year-old intercessor texted me at that moment and said, the chain of fear has been broken. She'd been in prayer for nonstop for 10, 10 hours. She told me afterwards she didn't sleep for two days. She had 48 hours of nonstop prayer for me. She said, I was so sustained. I was so energized by the whole experience. Wow. We thank God. It was like Moses and Joshua and the Amalekites. It's like, I, you know, holding up my hands. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pull myself out. I did everything I know how to do. I couldn't pull myself out. Thank God for the body of Christ. Those who were able to help me pull out. You know, the next day, 24 hours later, I went and I've never been more relaxed about preaching in my entire life. And I stood up and I, by the grace of God, I, I brought the word of God. But who knows, I, I wore normal clothes. I, I have my normal notebook. Uh, I opened my own mouth. By the grace of God, I believe something came of his word to the people. But we went out afterwards and we ate normal food. And I digested it in the normal way. And I don't think you need any more information than that. <laughs> Although it was chili crab and it was a next level experience. <laughs> but here's the point, my friends. The natural and the supernatural coexist. Some of us, we're, we just see with natural sight. I walk by faith and not by sight. You know, over this Christmas period, let's not get lost in the tinsel and the wrapping paper. But remember, we are in a spiritual battle, friends. And we are natural people. We're, we're doing the natural things of life. And yet God is at work in our lives and we have an enemy that wants to take seed away from us. In the Christmas story, we also see the humble and the glorious. The humble and the glorious. It's incredible that God came to earth at all, isn't it? They find it incredible that God came to earth at all. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. But you know, I find it more incredible still that he's found in a manger, a feeding trough. The highest of the high to the lowest of the low. Some out of the way forsaken place, you know, possibly an outhouse, probably more likely the, the lower floor of a dwelling where the animals came. But it was, it was where the animals went. It was the shed. And there he is. And we see the pictures of Christmas, don't we? The, with, with the beautiful pitched roof stable. With a star pinned to the very top of the stable. Mary in blue. Don't know why she's always wearing blue. I googled it actually. It's quite interesting. But I'll not go there now. Joseph's there and there's a smiling donkey. And a happy cow. Isn't it? A couple of regal-looking camels just outside the stable because they're a bit too big to get in. But they're there because they brought the, the magi, the wise men, who actually probably didn't come till two years later. But hey, let's not let the facts get in the way of a great nativity picture. Actually, not how it happened. A white Jesus. <laughs> What's that about? And so... Here we are. Maybe from where some of you come from. It's a black Jesus. I don't know, but let me tell you, 
Jesus was a Jew. Olive skin baby was there, but it, it wasn't all perfect with smiling donkeys. It was a feeding trough. It's not a beautiful crib with hay, just coming beautiful, isn't it? Little nice little crib, hay. No, it's a feeding trough. They put him in there because there's nowhere else to put him. Do you find it incredible? You know, if you were God, wouldn't you, wouldn't, if you were about to send your son into the world, wouldn't you, wouldn't you announce it? Wouldn't you stop the sun in its place? Wouldn't you stop the moon where it is? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you do something different? Wouldn't you raise up in a moment something incredible of the most miraculous mountain range and put in it the most spectacular palace ever conceived in the mind of anyone beyond anything we ever have thought of and, and bring him there? Why doesn't God do that? Well, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not palace material. Are you? And yet here, in the humble setting, the humility of a feeding trough, the, the greatest one who ever came was born in the humblest place so that people like you and me can know that he came for you and me. Because it doesn't matter how dirty you are, how unqualified you are, how lowly you are, we can understand if he came there, he came for us. And this is the message of Christmas, the humble, the utterly humble. But then an angel appears and the glorious also comes. The glory of the Lord shone around, verse 9 says. And then it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, they also appeared, saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Wow. I find it amazing. I wonder if God sent one angel to proclaim the news and all the other angels were there going, oh, let us go too, let us go. We want to go, let us go, please. Please, God, let us go. No, no, we don't need everyone to go. Oh, come on, we all want to go, we all want to go. We want to see him, we want to hear him. Hear the cry, we want to hear his voice. As Esther said last week, we've been silent for nine months. The word of heaven, we want to hear his voice. And in the end, the father capitulates and says, oh, go on, why don't you all go? And they all go. Glory to God, the humble and the glorious. Isaiah 57 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, revive the heart of the contrite. Wow, these things go hand in hand. Why do I say this today? Well, I don't know if you want more glorious in your life in 2018. Do you want to see the power of God work through your life? I, I, I do. Oh, Lord, give us more glorious in 2018. Give us more miracles. Let us lay hands on more sick and see them healed. Let us lay hands on the dead and see them raised up. Let us sense your presence at a new level. Give us moments where we can't move on in our worship because we know that you've stepped in the room. Your presence is manifest. Who wants more glorious in their life? I want more glorious in my life. But I also know if I want more glorious, I, I need more humility in my life. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, he gave him the name that is above every name. And these, these two things, they go hand in hand. The glorious and the, the humble. A couple of weeks ago, over speaking in Indonesia, some of you know I had this, 
the privilege of speaking to about nearly 600 young people from, from Trinity, of their youth camp, and, and the Lord showed up. We had an incredible second evening where I felt the Lord speak to me a message of what, what is in your hand. And in the middle of the night, I, I felt him speak to me that the thing that was in their hand is their future. And I challenge these young people to come and trust God with their future, to come and lay it down, lay down their future and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you, whatever, wherever, whenever. And at least 500 people came and knelt down. There was much weeping. It was holy. It was a holy place. It was glorious. But who knows how to come home and take the rubbish out, go and pick my daughter up from the playground because it was the school run. And you tell me which was more important. I can't tell you. I know I need both in my life. You need both in your life. Can I encourage us at Christmas time, let's position ourselves to serve wherever we are, whatever's going on. Can I say to the guys, don't, don't let her sort everything out at Christmas. See how you can help. And if you do the cooking, then maybe your wife, maybe you should see if you can also help. I'm just saying what normally happens in most families. I have one person to buy presents for. Pastor Esther buys for everybody else. But over these next few days, I'm going to try and position myself to serve in my own home. Which is more important, to go preach to hundreds of young people in Indonesia or serve in my own home? I can't tell you. I know I need both, and so do you. You know, God wants to work through us. He wants his glory to work through us. He says in 2 Corinthians that we are treasure in jars of clay. That this all-surpassing power from God would be revealed. This is what chapter 3 and verse 18 of 2 Corinthians says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Tamsin, why don't you come? Finally, the Christmas story Shows us the human and the divine. Isn't this a wonderful mystery? That God would come and make his dwelling among us. Today, verse 11 says, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A Savior and a baby. Christ and in cloths. The, the divine and the human come together. God became man. The Word became flesh. As Esther said last week, the immortal took on, immort took on mortality. The creator was clothed in creation. The, the maker inhabited what was made. The one who was all-powerful became powerless. The owner of the riches of heaven became poor. The eternal stepped inside time. The transcendent one became Emmanuel. The unseen God became visible. The ancient of days stepped into time. Jesus, fully God and fully man. The early church had to grapple with this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who can we say he is? Was this God? Was he really human? 
Who was this God-man? Who was this Savior of the world? They understood that he was the Savior, that he died for sins. The, the early fathers, they preached salvation is found in no one else. But then the theologians, they had to work it out. Different people had different views. There were some who, who said, oh, don't say he's fully God. You can't say that. You say he's from God. And they had to wrestle with it. Is this God or is this man, if he's fully God, is he really human? Who knows? He had to be fully God and fully man. To reconcile a broken world to a living God. And this is what the early council said, the Council of Chalcedon, AD 451. We can put it up on the screen and we don't often stop to look at the creeds. But read these words, this is what it says. Therefore, and this is doctrine, my friends, this is what we believe as Christians. Following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. At once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. My italics, truly God and truly man. Consisting also of reasonable soul and body. Of one substance. This was such a key word for the early theologians. The Greek word homoousios. It means the same stuff. He was made of the very same stuff as the Father. Not from the Father alone, but as the Father. Of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead. And at the same time, of one substance homoousios with us in regards to his manhood. Like us in all respects apart from sin. As regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages. And yet regards his manhood, begotten for us men and our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. Recognized, my italics, in two natures. Without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union but rather the characteristics of each being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the prophets from the earliest times spoke of Him, and our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. My friends, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood fully God and fully man, the human and the divine here in the manger in Bethlehem. God has come to this enemy-occupied territory, as C.S. Lewis put it, in human form. Fully God and fully man for us and for our salvation. This is the news of Christmas. This, these extremes, this tension, how can one be fully God and fully man? This is Jesus. This is the one we worship. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. But although in a unique and special way, the eternal word becomes flesh in Christ Jesus. You know, here's the great message of Christmas that the divine still delights to occupy the human. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Not comes close by, but actually enters in. I wonder if you've opened your heart to the Savior. I wonder if you've known him come in. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians says. My friends, the time is gone. Why don't the band come and join us? And as we come into land, I invite us to open our hearts wide to him, to worship. You know, John the Baptist said famously that he 
may increase and I may decrease, that he may become greater and I may become less. And may I invite you in your human frailty, as in my human frailty, that I open my heart at Christmas, that the divine would come fully in and more fully in, that there would be less of me and more of him. This is the message of Christmas. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we take a moment to examine our hearts? Say, God, that you might become greater and I might become less. Can I invite you where you are to open your hearts to the Savior of the world in this place? I wonder before we sing a final song, if we might, right where we are across this place, say thank you. Thank you to the Word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Why do we thank Jesus, the Savior? for coming, for coming on a rescue mission, not for the world at large, but for you, to redeem you to the Father, to bring you in, to pay the price for your sin and your shame, just as my sin and my shame. Say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you that you came. Thank you you didn't turn away. Thank you that in wrath you remembered mercy. Oh, we say thank you to a Savior. Thank you we have a Savior. Thank you we who needed a Savior. We're not found with no saviour, but we have a saviour. We thank you there is a redeemer. We thank you there is a reconciler. We thank you there is a man in heaven today who has paid the ultimate price and purchased with his blood men for God from every tribe and nation and kindred. We say thank you where you are. Lift your voice and say thank you with me. Why do you thank God for his indescribable gift? Oh, we say thank you. Thank you for coming. And I wonder before we sing if we might also invite the divine to come into our human afresh. To come and fill us afresh. That there might be less of us and more of him. Maybe there are things in your life you know are getting in the way. Maybe mistakes of the last few days. You can come and say, oh God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Come into this broken earthen vessel. Put your treasure in this jar of clay. Where you are, why not say to the Lord, come, come. Let the divine enter the human afresh. Lord, these mysteries are beyond us, but we believe them by faith.